Hi. I wasn't here, and now I'm here again. That's weird. No, I'm back. Wow, six weeks. That was incredible. So that's the longest I've ever gone without preaching since branches began. Uh, so that was uh, quite an experience for me. We'll see uh, just how rusty this engine is this morning. Let's try to get back up to speed. I did one sermon, and I'm like, man, sermons are taxing. I didn't remember. That the, I don't think I'm back up where I was. And I got a night service at an elder meeting after this, too. So it felt a little bit like going into sabbatical, transferring from a train that's moving 70 miles per hour to a train that's moving 35 miles per hour, jumping onto that one. Because I still have five kids at home, okay? So the train was still moving. I didn't stop. But now I'm jumping back on one that's going 70 miles per hour again. So we'll see how that transition flows a little bit this morning. Uh, It was an amazing six weeks. For the first uh, couple weeks, I did get an opportunity to get some solitude, which is very rare in my life, thanks to my wife. Uh, She watched everything at the house while I got a couple days away. And she was finishing up some work commitments before we left on a 5,000-mile journey. We went to nine states here in the West, saw the national parks, just had the trip of a lifetime. And I'm truly, supremely grateful for it to both the elders, the staff, and all of you as my brothers and sisters who are so supportive. And no, I just want to start off right off the bat telling you that not every sermon illustration is going to involve Montana or RV mishaps. All right. I do have some stories to tell. I will sprinkle them in throughout the year, but I'm not going to be speaking about all of them for like the next month. Okay. And I know the number one thing many of you are eager to know about from my time away at sabbatical is, did I become a runner like I said I wanted to become? I know there were many improvement plan items that I shared with you. One was that I wanted to become a runner, and I will say I'm running four to five days a week. So if that makes me a runner, I'm a runner. Now, I don't want to overplay my hand here. I didn't say how far and how long. All right, I'm not ready to compete in the Boston Marathon or anything. I'm more a turkey trot kind of guy. All right, but I am getting out there and running. And, and I just got to say, wow, you know, in the few days that I've been back, it's been a whirlwind. I've heard countless stories of the things that have gone on since I left. You know, I'm gone uh, six weeks, so I think, you know, a little bit more than a month. I'm going to come back. Not that much is going to have changed. But, you know, through the platform of Serve City, the Back to School Festival, collaboration with all the churches, just more involvement from these churches than ever before. And, uh, you know, we've got these connection bonfires on Wednesday nights. I missed two of them while I was gone. Those turned into baptism services. That's something I threw out, you know, one of my last sermons. And then the team was like, all right, we don't have baptisms. When are we going to do it? When are we going to do it? And we're like, well, we're at the beach for these bonfires and so many people, new believers and people who've been like pillars in our community for years, got baptized during those Wednesdays. Just unbelievable. You know, this VBS, kids are hearing the gospel for the first time. All these local pastors, three local pastors from other congregations coming in and preaching in this setting, which has never happened in our history. And you guys just receiving them so well. And one of these congregations even joining us this last Sunday. You know, this past Wednesday, and this has been planned, I didn't even know about this, our youth team has been meeting with seven other youth groups, at least the leadership of those youth groups, and they got together under one banner on Wednesday 
called OC Youth, and hundreds of youth, including ours, got together for worship and fellowship. That's never happened before. I never was a part of anything like that, even in my home church in Arizona, and there was a lot more kids involved in church there. Can we praise God for some of these things that are going on? I'm like, I, all the time we forget because there's so many things that are in decline or this isn't successful or this influence is waning and we're forgetting that God is doing new things that have never happened before all around us in the six weeks while I'm gone. You know, the, ne- the next day, the following day was the first time ever all of our mission partners were together under one roof. We had the Vishers who are here from Ecuador. They were in my house. The Coxes from Kenya, they're in the States right now. They were under our roof along with all of our local mission partners. You just get a view of what God has brought out of this humble little community here in Huntington Beach, the impact around the world and the impact that you guys know here locally. Just astonishing, truly astonishing. So, so many amazing developments, and there were great losses too. The loss of my friend and brother, Greg Howe from this community who finished his battle with Huntington's disease and is with the Lord to this day. And, and the passing of uh, my wife's grandfather, who's been a, just a fixture in our family. I got to be a part of Greg's memorial service yesterday. I just look at it. I go, guys, we got to understand life is happening. It's happening now. And there's a lot of life happening. And life is happening in this community And I foolishly thought, I'm gone six weeks, I'm not going to miss all that much. It'll be like, no time has passed. It is happening. It's it's, it's passing. And you're either part of it or you're watching it from the outside. You're either contributing to the life that's happening, and this is my real impression, or you're hearing about it secondhand, or you're just popping in, or you're passing through. Now, I have never been the guy to tell you, and I would never want this for anyone, that you, if you're going to experience church, you've got to be at something four nights of the week, and you've got to set aside everything else, and it's just church, 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 you know, programs, programs, programs. I'm not telling you you have to do that to experience the fullness of what church is, but church is relationships, and there's so many relationships to be fostered here through many things that are coming up. I mean, we've got retreats, we've got serve events, we've got... Uh, you know, grafted this class and the state of the church and service opportunities with the family ministry. All these are avenues where you can get connected, not with the leadership of the corporate branches community, but where you can connect with your brothers and sisters who are seated around you right now. Don't let your insecurities, you know, I'm not enough this, I'm not enough that, get in the way. Don't let your kids' sports schedule get in the way. Don't let your Huntington Beach OC on-the-go lifestyle get in the way of you being grounded in the faith and in church family. Because if you let those things get in the way, you're going to miss out on so many things that are meant for you. There's so much life to seize in this community that was meant for your life. So take hold of it. Take hold of it today. Don't miss another six weeks of what God is up to in this community. That was the, by the way, introduction to my introduction to my message. Now I'm going to get to my introduction to my message, okay? We will leave at a reasonable time. I promise you that. Now, uh, my sermon, it involves a lot of Scripture this morning. I just want to reiterate that always the basis of the authority of what we share from this stage is the Scriptures, is God's voice, is God's Spirit. Whether I'm here or not, someone's a guest teacher, we're going to be in God's Word. And that most often for us means that we're going through book studies 
uh, beginning to end through the calendar year. But every so often, we'll take a break, we'll look at the Scriptures thematically at a relevant topic for our times, and we'll see what God's Word has to say throughout its total witness about that particular topic. And along those lines, we start a month-long study this morning entitled Kingdom Confidence. And this is a theme that's been on my heart and mind for several years that, man, I've wanted to preach a series on faith. And that's essentially what this series, Kingdom Confidence, is all about. And it was a a passion. And when am I going to get to that? And then when we went through COVID and our period of distancing, it became like this full-blown obsession. Like, I have to speak about faith. I have to speak about kingdom confidence. Because I could see how many of my brothers and sisters in America and in American Christianity were getting knocked off balance by the divisions and the diversions of our society. I'm going, man, we need more confidence. We need more kingdom confidence. We need to derive our confidence from God's kingdom. And to that end, we are going to be pursuing that message this morning. Now, the writer of Hebrews defines faith this way in Hebrews 11.1. Faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence. It's not simply some beliefs. Faith is not just beliefs. Faith is not just Jesus is the way. Uh, Jesus is my answer. America needs Jesus. Those are beliefs. Those are ideas. They're principles. They're all true, but they're not confidence. They're not the full picture of what faith is truly all about. Confidence, what faith is truly all about is a disposition. It's an attitude. It works into our emotional state. It's grounded in beliefs like some of the ones that I just cited, but it has more of an impact on how we think and how we feel and then ultimately how we behave. And that confidence that we derive, that faith that we have, the nature of it, defined by the author of Hebrews there, it's a confidence grounded in what? Is it a confidence that's grounded in the events of the world, in the future of our country and its direction? Is it derived from the future of our personal health and what goes on with the economy, what's going to happen in your workplace with your children and my children and their future in the world? Is it a confidence that's derived from the state of our love life? You know, how much we weigh, what our fitness level is, how well we're defying the aging process. Where does our confidence come from? Is it from what is or isn't in our bank accounts? No, faith is confidence, and it's not in anything that we have. It's in what we hope for in Jesus. It's not in what we see, but in what we do not yet see. Would you guys buy a car from someone without receiving the deed or title to that car? or that vehicle, or whatever it may be, a home. You, you, you got the money, the person shows up, they've got the car, and they say, I'll take your money, and I'll give you this car. And you say, where's the deed? Where's the title? And they say, I don't know, I kind of misplaced it. I'll find it in a couple of weeks and send it to you. You know, are you going to do that? Don't do that transaction, by the way, if you're thinking about doing that transaction. Don't get too excited about it. You've got to say, well, 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 wait a minute. I don't know if you own this car. I don't know if this is real. There's, there's nothing that's backing this up right now. I need to wait till you have that deed and that title, and then I'll give you the money, and then it's mine. It's not just mine. I know it's mine. You know, but that's what happens. It's like we're buying a car without a, a deed, a title. Every single time we place our chips in the basket of this world, every single time we put our thoughts and feelings and hopes 
and desires in the circumstances of this world and in our life circumstances because they all come without a guarantee. There's no deed. There's no title on this world or our life circumstances. There's no promise behind those hopes that we have unless they come from one who can guarantee them, which would be God Himself. And that's the difference with faith in Jesus. The word for confidence in Hebrews 11 more literally means something standing under guarantee. It has the title deed. You know, there, there's one who's promising this, and he can actually fulfill the promise and guarantee what he's promising to you. It's real. The thing that you're believing in, the thing that you believe you have, you actually have, is what he's saying. And, and that's why the, the interpretation in the more literal translation of Hebrews 11 in the NASB is that faith is the certainty of things hoped for, because you know you have what you have because what's been promised is guaranteed by one who can guarantee it. So one message in light of that being what faith is all about, one message that I gave and I've been giving year over year that hasn't always been well received over the last several years especially has been brothers and sisters, in light of everything that's going on, calm down. That's one message I've given many times, and it hasn't always been well received by my brothers and sisters. It's been, calm down. And I've been on the defense about it, because a lot of people have responded to me, what do you mean? The house is on fire. Cool down, calm down, can't you see? Look at the world. Look at our government. Look at politics, look at economics. Look at human sexuality and mental health and education and race and crime and COVID. How can you say, chill out? And I agree. If my faith and confidence is in what I see or in what I have, well, then I have reason for perpetual insecurity. There'd be no reason for confidence, but our faith is confidence in what we hope for, not what we have achieved it's in what we don't see, not in what we do see. And that's the key. And when we possess the confidence of Jesus, because look at Jesus, a lot of resistance, a lot of trials, a lot of persecution, very confident, very confident. When we possess the confidence of Jesus and not the insecurity of the world, we can be clear-headed, clear-minded, spirit-following, obedient followers of Jesus rather than reactive worldly, anxiety-ridden, poor representatives of what we sing week after week. And when we're confident and secure and whole in Christ, we don't need to medicate or supplement our lives with drugs, excessive alcohol, secret sins, stupid TV shows, and endless news media. We don't need those things because we're whole, integrated, and living thriving, healthy lives in Jesus. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about faith and confidence. And first we start today, confidence, faith, and the sufficiency of God's grace. Today we're starting personal. We're going to look at a lot of other grand themes over these next couple of weeks, but we're starting personal because if you as individuals are all confident and secure in your standing with God, then we together are a faith-filled community. We are confident in our standing with God. But if one of us breaks, anxiety and fear is the only thing I know more contagious than COVID-19 at one of our VBSs. 
a lot of y'all got sick at our VBS this year. Truly, anxiety and fear is the most contagious thing I have discovered yet in this life. Thankfully, the scriptures can inoculate us from a lot of that susceptibility to fear because we have just endless testimony. The scriptures are replete with just these words of encouragement from Jesus and his most devoted followers to people who were not having a good time. They were struggling, and yet they were constantly being encouraged toward having this confidence and this assuredness in their standing before God and in the promises of the future. So let's read some scriptures together. I'm going to be reading quite a bit. I'm catching up for lost time. So follow along with me. We're starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The verses will be on the screens. Because I'm going a couple different places, you may want to just read from the screens, but if you want to get to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 in the next two seconds, then you can follow along with me. Peter writes, Praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Okay, this isn't something you got to wait for later. It's not something that's dead. It's a living hope that we have right now through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that is it going to, is it in trouble? Is, is it, can it be lost? No, it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith, that confidence, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the provenness, proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result again in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, this is the basis of faith, you love Him, and even though you do not see Him now, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see what I'm talking about? Faith, confidence, strength. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It's not just the testimony of Peter, it's the testimony of Paul. Verse 3, chapter 1, Ephesians. Praise. You know, did I have amnesia? Are we reading the same thing? Nope. Different guy, different passage starts with the same idea. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? A little bit of stuff? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. You guys poor or are you rich? He says you're rich. It's lavished on you. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Him we were also chosen. You're picked having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Is He strong or is He weak? 
Can he enact things that he wants to, or is he handicapped? No, he's able to put everything into conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's like that deed, that title, until the redemption of those who are God's possession to, again, the praise of His glory. All right, different book. Hebrews chapter 10. This is my last reading. Verse 19. Considering the same promises, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, we have faith, to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, Jesus' body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance, that confidence that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He's going to make good on everything he's promised. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you guys see how that sampling of different books in the Scriptures puts together this picture for us of what our lived experience ought to be? And we're not just talking about some beliefs that don't really have an effect on us. You know, we're going through stuff. uh, The stuff we're going through affects us more than this. No, wait a minute. This faith, this confidence, it absolutely changes not just our present feelings and our circumstances, but our whole disposition and attitude about life. It affects us on every single level. What we're talking about here is this kingdom confidence through and through the New Testament, something I so deeply wanted for us to experience, and some of us did through these last several years. We're going to experience now. We're going to get into it these next several weeks. And each one of these passages... Ground everything that I've talked about in one reality. The plan God enacted before time itself to offer Jesus, His one and only Son, to be the sacrifice in place of ourselves, to take upon Himself our sin and wrongdoing upon Himself. In the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals. When they committed wrongdoing, when they had sin, they took an animal, a living thing of value, And they would offer it. The way they would offer it, they would place their hand upon it. They would lean upon it in actuality. And it would be this transfer of their wrongdoing and sin onto this animal. And then the animal would be sacrificed and its blood would be taken and received in place of the blood of the offerer. And so that was a whole process that would happen. Now, what we have as a development in the New Testament is that Jesus, through his sacrifice of himself on the cross, through the shedding of his blood, God received that as something that would satisfy that need through all time to cover all your sin and wrongdoing and all my sin and wrongdoing. And that promise is for everyone who inherits that by faith. So, We have to actually choose to, like they would do with the animal, lean, place a hand upon that sacrifice. So too, through our faith, through our trust in Jesus, we're placing a hand, we're identifying with Jesus' sacrifice and being covered. For those who don't believe, for those who don't have faith, sure, Jesus has done this, but there's no covering for them. 
because his blood is not associated with them. We're the ones who lean upon that. It's in him, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But the cross wasn't simply about your wrongdoing and sin being washed away and forgiven. You know, you're, you're not just restored to just kind of sit there in this new status. Like, I'll, I'll give you this one story from my trip. We went about 4,900, you know, uh, miles, and everything was peachy until the grapevine north of L.A., and my check engine light started flashing, and my car was misfiring, and it was in that last hour, right? So my, my truck started having issues, and I said, we ain't stopping in L.A. It's 110 degrees, about bumper to bumper. We're getting home one way or another. Car's on fire. It doesn't matter. So we get home, and I take the car to the shop, and that, that car, I mean, I'm getting it restored. I'm getting the warranty work done on it for what purpose? So I can go back and sit in my driveway as an expensive lawn ornament? Is that why it was restored? No, it's restored for a purpose. It can now begin to take me from point A to point B again, and it can haul the loads it needs to haul if I'm pulling my RV or something. In the same way, we were restored, forgiven of sin, for a purpose, and it wasn't so that we would be these expensive lawn ornaments who sit here in these seats on a Sunday morning. It was for relationship with God and for joining in with His works. As the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 19, our being forgiven in Christ becomes the confidence then to enter the most holy place. That was the inner sanctum of the ancient temple of the Old Testament where God's literal manifest presence dwelt. The writer of Hebrews says, our forgiveness becomes the basis of our confidence to enter it by a new living way that is the curtain of Jesus' body. Now in the Old Testament, in front of the most holy place where God's manifest presence dwelt, there was a curtain, and it symbolized more the, di the, the division and the barrier between God and man more than anything. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying through Jesus is that that barrier has now been opened and become a symbol of a door. And the door is Jesus' body. It's the forgiveness that's been won for us through His sacrifice. So the writer of Hebrews says in verse 22, let us go in. Now that it's a door, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance, the confidence again, that faith brings. Having our hearts cleansed, of a guilty conscience, and our body washed with pure water. Now imagine with me the invitation that the writer of Hebrews is describing for every single one of us on a personal level. And if you need to close your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes if that helps you imagine this better. But imagine you personally entering into the temple of God, and you go all the way up to that inner most holy place, and there's the curtain. And consider with me that the God who created the expanse of the universe and the variety of the creation that we see around us right now, your maker and my maker, his manifest presence dwells in that room. It's an 1,800 square foot room and you're standing outside of it and God is in there. And that curtain goes from being a barrier to a door. And God says to you personally, come in. That's an astonishing reality that the writer of Hebrews says has occurred 
for every single one of us, the experience of entering that 1,800-square-foot room with the manifest presence of God is the sort of access that we have by way of the body of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, everyone would know there's no way that you can enter into that room and live because your heart is filthy and you have a guilt-ridden conscience and your body has been used as an instrument of sin and none of that can come into contact with a holy God. And yet the writer of Hebrews says, through Jesus, we've had that conscience cleansed, our hearts and bodies washed. Have you ever been filthy? I mean, like literally filthy. Have you ever been, I, I mean, I'm talking like going on a mud run or something. I'm not that advanced yet in my running career to have tackled something like that. Uh, I am my own landscaper at home. There's a lot to landscape. So, uh, you know, there are days I'll pull an all day kind of like thing working out there. And when I'm done at the end of the day, you know, the dirt's caked through the hair. Everything that isn't covered is covered. You know, I'm completely just disgusting. We'll just say that. And so you go into the shower and, you know, we have white tile in the shower. So you can see, you know, when, when you're washing up, that dirty water, it's, it's, it's black, you know, basically. And I got to use the, the you know, I don't know if it's TMI, the high pressure wand, you know, to really clean because otherwise you're not really clean. Now think that is what God has done for every single one of you through faith in Him, starting with your heart. Imagine that Jesus has taken pure water and cleansed your heart until the water runs pure. It's like when I'm washing, I can see it turn. I wait until, you know, it goes from being black to, to water, to clear, and I know I'm clean. Jesus he takes our hearts and He says, I'm going to clean that until I see pure water running off of it. It's clean. Your conscience, your mind. I'm going to clean it with pure water until that water runs pure, until that water runs clean. It's the same thing with our body. A, a body that's, you know, we've abused, that's been abused, that's been an instrument of sin, all the above. Jesus says, I'm going to wash it with pure water until it has been fully cleansed. This is what Jesus has done through His sacrifice. And it's past tense. The Hebrews author says, having been past tense cleansed so sufficiently through what Jesus has done, we can now draw near to God. That's why Paul calls all of this the riches of God's grace in Ephesians 1.7. Because it's worth more than all the money and excesses and luxuries of Orange County can buy. Doesn't matter how much money, doesn't matter how many luxuries you have in Orange County, you cannot cleanse a filthy heart. You cannot get rid of the guilt in your conscience. You cannot have that purity of body. And yet it's a gift that God has freely lavished on all His people through Jesus. So we're forgiven, we're cleansed, we're restored to relationship. What comes along with that new solid status before God that isn't based on what we have or what we lack, but based on something Jesus has already done long past, it's already a fixed reality. What change does that bring with it, with that change of status? Well, Peter says in 1 Peter verses 3 and 4, we now have a new birth. Everything I've just been describing, I think you can pick up on it, it's not a small change. It's not like it has a little impact on your life. It's not like you've got your personal development plan and this is like step four. It'll get you to step five. 
you know, you're a little better than you were before. No, he goes, you're supposed to be just different. I mean, this is a whole new lease on life. This is a whole new birth into a living hope that you carry with you everywhere you go in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance, something in the future that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's like King Charles III getting, getting made king. You guys like, what are we, in the Middle Ages? Like, this is odd. I, I don't know what to do with this. I'm not, I'm not used to people being named king and it's real or something. I don't know if it's real. Is it real? I don't know. But immediately, like, this guy gets an inheritance. There's a change of status, and immediately what comes with it is all this land and the crown jewels, which are a real thing, and it's billions of dollars that he inherits automatically just through this change of status. And, and it really doesn't have anything to do with him. He's just born in this line, and yet it's just bestowed upon him, and here we are. We haven't really done anything. It's freely lavished on us. God says, I'm going to change your status. And I'm going to give you an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade because of this resurrection. So effectively, we've got this untouchable, unfading future and access even to this ever-present faith confidence that shields us by God's power no matter what is coming at us in our day-to-day lives. That word shield, he said you're shielded by God's power until your salvation is revealed. That's a present thing. You've got an inheritance in the future, won't perish, spoil, or fade. You're shielded by God's power in the present. What does that word shield mean? It means like a sentinel. It's like a guard is posted now in your life. That's that shield of God's power. It's like there's a, there's a guard gate. You're a gated community now. And it's not a gated community, you know, to protect your golf course home. It's a gated community that protects your soul and your life from evil that wants to come at you. Any evil is going to come at you. Anything that's a lie, anything that's not of God's truth, it has to stop at the guard station before it can get to you. And, and he doesn't describe what that power is. Is it God, you know, assigns angels to us? Is it God's Spirit, certainly at minimum, we know from what Paul says in Ephesians 1 that yes, to an extent, that power that shields us in the present is this deposit that we've all received through faith in Jesus, the promised Holy Spirit in us. And guys, everything that I'm describing, it should matter. (laughs) It should work its way through us. This thing that Jesus has done, this cleansing that's happened in our heart, mind, and body, this nearness that we can have to God, this nearness that He has to us, this inheritance in the future, this power in the present, so much of it ought to affect us. It ought to fill us, as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.8, with an inexpressible joy. It's a joy you're talking about, talking about, talking about. I didn't even get to it. I, I can't even put it into words, the kind of joy that I feel. That's why two out of the three passages that I read start with the word praise because it's an outflow of that inexpressible joy. Some of you, I know you think this. Why do we sing so many songs in church? Why are there that many songs? Why do we repeat that phrase? I'm going to ask you, do you know what you say you believe? Because if you know what you say you believe, you understand the place of praise. You feel like praising. You have an inexpressible joy that doesn't have an end. You can keep on praising. You can keep on expressing that joy. And it's not because everything is good. It's not praise because everything in my life circumstances are going exactly how I want them to. Because, guys, not everything was going well in the life circumstances of those who first received these words 2,000 years ago. 
It wasn't good. In fact, it's very easy to argue it was much worse for those who received the words that we read this morning, but it's praise because of the things that we hope for and because of the assurance and convictions that we have about the things that we do not yet see. It's praise because of our kingdom confidence. I'm not all that happy when I look at the world. I'm not all that confident when I look at the near future. And I have never stood up here and told you guys to be happy about that stuff either. And I've never told you to derive your confidence from those places either. What I have told you consistently over several years, and I'm telling you this morning, and I'm going to say in different ways in the next couple of weeks, is that Jesus is more powerful, more consuming, more overriding, more supreme and sufficient for whatever it is we're going to face in the future. And we're going to face more things in the future. Are we facing a thing right now? I don't know. Are we between things? Is it a little pause before the next thing? I don't know. Some of you probably think there's a thing going on right now. If there's a thing right now or not, there's a thing that's coming, and it's coming right before the next thing that's going to come, which, you know, precedes the thing after that. So I'm telling you in advance, before the next thing happens in this world, first, confidence. Our response, first, faith. Before the next thing happens in your world, maybe it doesn't happen in the world, but it happens in your world, and you might be going through something right now in your world, it's right before the next thing that's going to happen in your world, and there's going to probably be a next thing after that. First, confidence. First, faith. And then we respond. And then we act. Kingdom confidence. I want to finish with a couple questions for you to consider in prayer What is keeping you from having that confidence? What is robbing you of that kingdom confidence? That is yours. It's your faith in Jesus. You have something the rest of the world doesn't have. The rest of the world doesn't have anyone promising them anything that's guaranteed. They don't have a title. They don't have a deed. They just have a wish. A wish for something better right in front of them, right? We have something so much more massive than that. And we can derive so much confidence and security from it. And it's not based on what you haven't done, what you will do. It's based on all these things that have already happened. The anchor that we sang about in one of our songs this morning, it's Jesus. He already accomplished it. What's robbing you of what's yours? It's yours. I've got four questions to consider as you think about that that might help you get to the answer. Where are you wrongly, first of all, placing your hope? Where are you wrongly placing your hope? You won't have confidence. You won't have security. You won't have standing if you place your hope in anything in this world. Because none of it comes with a guarantee. None of it comes with the title deed. Anything in your life circumstances, you say, "Uh, this outcome, that's where my hope is. Good luck. You will not have the confidence that is yours in Jesus if that's where your hope lies. How do you find out? Because all of us say we hope in Jesus. All of us say our confidence is in Jesus. Well, listen to how you're talking. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you're incessantly going, way about this, way about that, this is going on, this is trouble, this is... You say, I believe in Jesus, but have you seen what's going on in the world today? And you spend most of your time doing that. And you go, I'm just saying... Anytime you say, I'm just saying, that's what you're actually saying. 
The other stuff is just ornaments on whatever you're actually saying, right? So-and-so's a good guy, but he's got a lot of problems, you know? I'm just saying. That's all you think. You guys got a lot of problems. He's not a good guy. You're not thinking about that. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, and the heart is always revealing what's going on and what you're talking about most and what's affecting your disposition and attitude the most. If your hope is in Jesus, that confidence is going to be there. That security and peace is going to be there. And then you can respond to the other things that are going on. Where is your hope wrongly being placed? Number two, what have you been washed of that you continue to wallow in? You've been cleansed, heart, mind, body. And you can go back to those sins that you left that Jesus has covered. I don't think it's going to penetrate your heart and your mind and your body the way that it did before Christ. But you can still go back and wallow in it. And sin makes us retreat from God. It makes us retreat from others. It makes us retreat from God. It's the first thing that happened when Adam and Eve sinned. They're hiding when God goes looking for them. And the message through Jesus is that that curtain is now a doorway. He says, draw near. I want you to be near me. When you're near me, you'll experience the peace and security and confidence that is based on something that's otherworldly. It's based on me. But when we go back and wallow in the things we've been washed of, we hide and we run away from the very benefits God has given us. It may be robbing you of that security and confidence. Number three, what are you letting in that God wants to guard you from? You know, what, what, you've got this gated community of your heart and soul. You're shielded by God's power. There's a sentry. There's a guard. There's the Holy Spirit. And yet these things are getting in. This lie that, you know, your worth is determined by your marital status or your weight. Or you've got this doomsday prophecy about how everything in your life is going to go in the future. And God's like, I didn't tell you any of that. I didn't let that in. You must have given the number to the guard gate to say, yeah, go on, go on let that in, because I'm standing against that. I'm speaking against that. I never stood for that. I want to get that out of here. So what are you letting in that God wants to guard you from? These lies that don't conform to the truth of who God has made you to be. And number four, just in a broadly speaking, what is keeping you from drawing near to God? Some of you stand at the curtain of that most holy place and you don't go in. The curtain turns to a door. God says, come in, commune with me, and you keep standing there. What is it? What's keeping you from drawing near to him and gaining that confidence, laying hold of your faith? We don't have a lot of time. In fact, we have no time at all. We're going to sing one song, but I want us to enter in, first of all, in a posture of prayer asking that the Lord would use these questions. If you write them down, probably post them somewhere online. We'll definitely be in community group. But these are things to bring before the Lord, to enter into that most holy place before God and say, God, reveal to me, why am I not laying hold of the things that you promised to me that you say are there? Allow me to pray as we enter this time. Heavenly Father, would you reveal our hearts? Would you reveal our circumstances. It even says in First Peter, we're facing trials of many kind, and many in this room are facing trials of many kind, and we're all in this world, and this world is a trial in itself. And yet, Lord, we have reason for praise and inexpressible joy at all times because of the security and confidence that we have in you. What you've done in the past, the inheritance that's coming to us in the future, the power that you've given to shield us from things that we face and yet so often we don't depend on it we don't look to it 
and sometimes we find ourselves wallowing back in the things that you washed us of. So God, reveal to us this morning in the coming weeks how we can gain a greater sense of faith, trust, confidence that works its way through us, Jesus, mind, heart, body. Lord, would you be speaking through these prompts and questions, through your scriptures, directly to my brothers and sisters, that every single one of them could identify those obstacles that it could be removed by your power and they could lay hold of what's theirs to lay hold of in you. Lord, even in these few moments, would you begin that conversation? Where are those false hopes? What are those sins that people have returned to? What are those lies that they're letting in? What's that hesitancy? Where does it come from to just embrace you in faith? Why don't they enter? Speak to us, Lord. We have time constraints on service this morning. You have no time constraints. You go with every single one of my brothers and sisters into their life this morning, into the afternoon, into the watches of the night. You're with them, Lord. Speak to them, Lord.